Hi, Kristen. Good to have you on the show. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so um, for everyone who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I think most people don't know me, so I'll tell a lot about myself. I am a uh, podcaster, comedian, dating coach, and writer, comedy writer. Um, essentially, what that comes down to is I'm confused. I'm very, very confused. Um, so I do a lot of different things, and uh, you've seen, like, people might have seen me um, co-hosting on the Adam Carolla show or roasting, like, I've roasted sports legends like Larry um, uh, Lawrence Taylor and uh, Larry Holmes. And so, you know, so I, but I also do a podcast on depression and mental health. And I lost a friend to suicide. Um, my, I, actually, not a friend, a friend and co host of that podcast um, that was on mental health. I lost to suicide. Um, so I don't, I think that summarizes me um, or confuses me um, on my own. So I apologize if I confuse your guests with that description. <laughs> so um could you please share with us like why did you became a comedian in the first place and um also share with us like yeah how did you get uh, to work together with adam carolla and so on and so forth so um yeah please share the story with us sure so uh the reason i became a comedian we could either start from when i was three and uh my eye was crossed or from the time i was Uh, 22 and had no idea what else to do with my life. Um, but they're both valid stories. I was born um, with this uh, with this thing called accommodative isotropia, which caused my eye to cross. And um, that caused me to become a comedian 30 or 20 years later, unknowingly. Um, but the practical reason of how I got into comedy and why I got into comedy was because... So, so what was wrong with your eyes? I, okay, so I have um, I have a condition called yeah. accommodative isotropia, which essentially is your muscle um, is too busy trying to see clearly that it can't also stay straight at the same time. It's almost like mm -hmm. patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same time. My eye couldn't do both. So it was either see clearly and have my eye cross or have my eyes straight and not be able to see clearly. Mm -hmm. So what? So basically I had a surgery when I was three years old to straighten my eye um, and I had to ruin my vision in order to see clearly. So I had to wear a patch over my eye when I was three years old and uh, all the stuff that made you the nerd. So from that point forward, all I knew was humor because that was the only way I, you know, it's a cliche story. That's how I functioned in the world, protected myself. Um, so, I always, so you were like always the class clown and um, always making always. jokes as a kid. And yeah, and it was because I had no choice. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, otherwise uh, you could just get laughed at. So and were you that, also bullied for that, or did you? I I was I was bullied, but not necessarily for the crossed eye. I think I <laughs> just was bullied for being a nice kid because I would wear glasses and it would keep my eyes straight. So not everyone knew, you know, that I had a crossed eye until we went swimming. Then I had to take my glasses off and. Um, and so you being, were always scared of swimming, probably. <laughs> yes, more <laughs> scared of sharks were less scary to me than swimming without contacts. <laughs> I'd go in as long as I could wear contacts. I don't care if they're sharks. <laughs> so that so then that trans transitioned me from like a nerdy kid into kind of an insecure adult and um, not great at I was not great at school. All I knew was being the class clown. So I wanted to become a comedy writer in a sense 
and I was at this writing school and they had us take a uh, stand-up class, which I would have never done. Um, but I instantly loved it. And so that's how I ended this up school. getting into stand-up. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then through, you know, years and years of hustling and putting yourself in the right position is how I came to work with Adam Carolla. Mm. So you were like doing like uh, a lot of shows um, locally or? Really what I was doing was focusing on the podcasting world because mm. Adam was one of the first people to really go big with podcasting. And when I moved to Los Angeles, he was still doing a radio show and it went off the air a few months after I moved there. And I remember hearing that it turned into a podcast and I had no idea what that was. I'm not an early adopter of technology. I'm like a grandmother. When did he so start, start his podcast? Like 2008 or something? I think it was 2008. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it took me a while to figure out even how to listen to it. But then once I did, I was, I was like, wow, this is what I want to do because I love being funny and doing comedy, but I don't necessarily love going on stage every single night. Mm -hmm. I like just being funny. And so I thought podcasting was a way to be funny and also avoid going out to do stand-up comedy every night because it's such a it's such a hustle and I'm kind of lazy. So <laughs> it was the way I avoided really going on stage every night was thinking, okay, well, I think I could you know, be like Adam Kroller. I could work with him or be his co-host because at the time Teresa Strasser who was his fill-in news girl um or who, who was his news girl was just like me I thought in terms of humor so um I started aligning myself with podcasting and then I met a lot of people who worked at Corolla's studio and became friends with them and then um ultimately started doing fill-in work for the uh current news girl so oh. yeah but it was just putting I think myself in the right situation, even though I had no idea what that right situation was. I just knew start podcasting. Hmm. So you somehow stumbled into all that. Yeah. So I just kept pushing myself in a direction that felt right, even though, you know, there's not a map or a GPS that can say, okay, now take a right hand turn here and a left hand turn here to get to work with someone that you admire. Hmm. Um, you just have to kind of blindly go forward. And that's what I was doing. And <laughs> what I've still done to this day. I would personally love to hear like, um, what have been your biggest lessons like podcasting for so, 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 so many years and um, yeah, spending um, so much hours um, podcasting. I would say do it right. And it's like, I think that's what you're doing. You're doing it right. Really? I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you're really um, professional and um, driven and persistent <laughs> and for Thanks. someone like me, I'm a little bit too laid back. And so if I were to start doing podcasting all over again, I would go into it like head first and not doubt myself or not doubt, you know, asking people to come on the show or being embarrassed of maybe, you know, something I said, I would just commit a hundred percent. And, um, and I still have to tell myself to do that now, you know, to just. So you were not fully committed when you started out. Basically. When when I say I wasn't really fully committed, I mean, I wasn't um, sure exactly what I was doing. And I was explaining away and apologizing a lot on behalf of not really knowing what I was doing rather than for owning. Um, so, for example, um, the podcast that I've been doing for many, many years is called 
uh, the Ask Women podcast. And we started on Podcast One, the network. Um, we were the only non-celebrity show uh, at the time. I think they still only have a lot of celebrity-driven shows. Um, but I, because I wasn't a celebrity, I felt a little bit misplaced. Like, do I belong here? Am I good enough for this? And I would kind of down talk myself and down talk my abilities. And um, and now looking back, I wouldn't do that. You know, I, 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 I can relate so much to that because um, I'll, I'll, I, I'm talking to so, so many like great business people who are making like 500 million in yearly revenue or something like that. And I was always like very quiet about like uh, entrepreneurship and, and business because like, man, we are not doing 500 million a year. So, <laughs> right. but, but, but looking back, I would also tell myself like, man, just share what you are knowing. I think um, it's, uh, it's useful for, for some people for sure. So um, I was also like very, very quiet when I started out. So um, yeah, I think it's a bis- big mistakes that beginners do. Yeah. And some people, I think, have it in them to just act like they belong, kind of the fake it till you make it. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Some, some people are definitely. Yeah. yeah. And so I wish I had that. You know, <laughs> I'm just learning to have it now. <laughs> Me too. I'm still faking it, but. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, okay. One of the biggest lessons um, was like be fully committed, right? Absolutely. What else? Um, to, in regards to podcasting or just in general podcasting, please. So I would say, um, do what you really want to do in podcasting. Don't do something cause you think that's what people want to hear. Do what is inside of you. Uh, because I think, yeah, because I think the more you try to be something else, the less you will be that thing. And, and so you need to really commit to, um, what you can offer and who you are and uh, own it to the biggest extent possible and go with it. So, um, so if it's, if it's comedy that you love and you want to focus on in your podcast, focus on that. If it's better, you know, self-help and you're super into self-help, focus on that. Don't water down what your, what your interest really is because it will bleed through to the listeners. Listeners are like, dogs in a sense that they can sniff things out when th- something's inauthentic so the more authentic you are <laughs> listeners are like dogs okay well, yeah, well, they always say that like about, about that. comedy audiences it's kind of insulting but but uh flattering at the same time because they really have a sense like you can sniff yeah. things or you have a guttural i you know sense of when something's good and something's off and so yeah be super authentic and i think you'll find your niche Totally agree with that. And I think um, if you're trying to please the audience, like um, I was doing, for instance, in the first 10, 20 or 30 episodes even, um, I think it fits like hell. Like I hate like acting and um, playing someone else. And um, I think it's also like you've mentioned, like really disingenuous because people will really sense it if you're inauthentic. And um, for instance, I think like most people nowadays are all, everyone is trying to be politically correct and not step on anyone's toes. And when I have a guest who is like really authentic and who isn't politi- uh, politically correct, I just love them. Like, 
for instance, like one guy comes to mind right now. Uh, his name is Andrew Tate. He's like very, very controversial. I don't nearly agree with half of everything he's saying on the internet. But this guy is like so authentic. Like he's swearing all the time. And <laughs> not that swearing is a good thing or something, but he is like really, really authentic. And I think uh, people are inspired by that. So yeah, they are. And I've always said I love authentic people, even if that person's a dummy or. Yeah an idiot or something and the the uh the example i always give is snooki from the jersey shore she Who's is that? <laughs> oh, okay you don't know who snooki is from the jersey no. shore oh my god well you are you are missing out but you're also lucky at the same time but you don't uh she is she's a reality tv star and she, she s-n-o-o-k-i it's a nickname mm -hmm. nicole she's Pelosi. beautiful i would say well, she has had a lot of plastic surgery, but basically she became famous through MTV's show, The Jersey Shore. Mm -hmm. And that is such an absurd show. And the people on there are so absurd. But what I loved about them and Snooki is that they didn't apologize for how ridiculous they were. And I think they <laughs> didn't apologize because they didn't know how ridiculous they were. So they couldn't even apologize. But they never tried to be anything but just these mm -hmm. kids from New Jersey. And and as shallow or vapid as that may be, that's authentic. And because yeah. they were authentic, they were a hit. And I personally loved them. Yeah, you know? we we also have here in Germany one girl. Uh, his, her name is like Daniela Katzenberger, and she she's also like had a lot of surgery, like Snooki. And uh, she's like I wouldn't say the most intelligent pe uh, person on pl on the planet Earth right now. I would say, but um, she has like one million followers or something here in Germany because she's like really authentic. And, and, uh, and the uh, the irony is that like someone like them, for example, who has a yeah. lot of plastic surgery, plastic surgery isn't authentic, but yeah. they own the plastic surgery, yeah. and that's authentic. True. Most you know try to I mean? hide it, and right, um, yeah. So, so um, what would you tell to someone who is listening right now? Because I think it's really hard nowadays to be authentic. Like you feel, for instance, if you're like putting out content, I think the first initial reaction that everyone has is, oh, like everyone is judging me. So what would you tell to someone who is listening to this right now, who is a bit scared of, quote unquote, opening up about themselves? Oh, can I? I I can swear because you just said the other guest. As much as you want <laughs> Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck who's judging you, who's listening to you, what they're thinking about you? Who cares? Because we're all going to die rather quickly. So we might as well not worry about that stuff. And I know it's not super original, but I that's something that I've always struggled with is worrying about what people think. And I know that that's held me back. But every time I have this... Um, glimpse into what it feels like to not give a fuck it feels so good it's almost like i took a hit of lsd or something i'm high on life because i'm like wow i'm free i don't have to care what people think and all of a sudden when i'm in that mindset the world is available to you or it's open or you're allowing things to align itself for you because you just don't you don't care you're not focused on the wrong things yeah. so um so if you're focused on um, on giving a fuck, you're you're gonna always feel, I think, limited. Um, but the minute you let that weight off your shoulders, you can be fully you. 
Yeah, great advice, and I totally agree with that. And I would even go so far and say that um, if you try to be like everyone else, there's no value in that. Like no value, uh, no value at all. So I think um, if you really want to create value and be useful, um, I think being authentic is the only way to be honest to escape competition. Like for instance, if I would try to act like Joe Rogan, I would be like the worst copy ever. So, right. Um, I think like copying other people and imitating them and trying to put an act on is like really limiting your potential at the end of the day. Like, because I know for a fact, like nobody's Hardy Habala. So, um, yeah. Or can say Hardy Habala. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's hard for your, your, your American people. So, um, could you please um, share with us the story behind, like, how did you start talking about depression and why did you start talking about depression and so on and so forth? So, so uh, I have a, a no filter in a sense. I've always talked about anything and everything that's going on in my mind. It started from, I think, being uh, the class clown type who my selling point or what I thought was valuable about myself was to be honest and to be open. So I've always been open and on honest. I've never been self-conscious about sharing something that might be perceived as weak for the most part, unless, you know, unless I wanted to share that, you know, I don't know, I have 4,000 STDs or something, then I might feel a little embarrassed, but you know, I don't feel shame in regards to um, emotions and things like that. So, um, I would talk about it occasionally on my other, on my first podcast, the ask women podcast. And, and, and why did you think that? Because I think it's really hard to talk about emotion. Like for me, it is like, it's really, 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 really hard. <laughs> well, I think, um, I think I don't, like I said a second ago, I think that's what adds, what I can add to um, the world. It's how I add value, I think, to the world around me. I'm not great at math. I would never be able to be a doctor. Uh, you know, they can add value by saving lives or building, you know, engineers build structures, whatever. Um, I feel like what I can add to the world is relatability. And so by that, it's sharing emotions. And I've always just felt like it was not something that, like you have to try to figure out how to do it just always felt so natural. So I think that's what I was born to do in a way was to be uh, relatable for people maybe that um, need a, need to feel connected to someone or feel lonely or feel like they're weird or feel like they're the only one who's had that thought. I like to give them a place in the world by sharing my emotions and stuff. So my friend Stevie Ryan, who I was doing um our podcast on depression with the way that began was she was very open and honest and would tweet about her depression and put it on Snapchat and things like that. And her and I had met a few times. And so I felt comfortable with her. And so I reached out to her to say, I also have depression. And I know a lot of people did why? that. Why? What happened? Um, why did I reach out to her? In uh, no, 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 no. Um, why, why did you I think um, why you're depressed or are you depressed and so on and so forth? Uh, because my brain nine and a half days out of 10 feels dead. And that's a really hard thing since to when? describe. Um, since I was about 18 or 19. So for I've, a long time. Long time. Yeah. So it's cause I'm like 56 now. So super long. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you're 30 something. I'm, I am. 
I am. Uh, when I was a kid, I always had a hard time getting out of bed. I never knew really what that meant. I know that a lot of kids never want to get, you know, don't want to get out of bed, but mine was at like a different level. I never thought it could be depression. I never looked at it like that. I just thought I was lazy. Um, but once I was out of bed in my teens and stuff, I was functional. I was able to get things done and I danced. So I would constantly be at dance class or doing an activity. Um, but once I got to college and didn't really have anything to pull me out of bed, like I didn't have my parents saying you have to get out of bed. Um, I started to not get out of bed and it became like this, um, uh, domino effect or, or, um, snowball where it just built and built and built. And, um, I basically just felt like, uh, there was nothing to get out of bed for, why? Why get out of bed? I don't, there's nothing I enjoy enough to get out of bed. So, and I, I think those are the beginning or those are the, that's a cliche thing or not a cliche thing, but it's typical thing someone will say when they're depressed is that they don't enjoy anything. They have a lack of, of, um, of enjoyment. With, yeah. yeah. And so that was a big thing for me. Nothing felt interesting enough to get involved in. I didn't feel good enough at anything to pull myself out of bed for. I felt, um, and did you have a boyfriend ugly. at the time or something? No, I didn't. Good relationships? I didn't no, I didn't really date at all. I had friends and they were good friends, but I would isolate from them a lot. So they would go out and I would stay in. And looking back at my. And was it your choice or did they uh, not try to include you? Or? No, it was my choice. Yeah, mm -hmm. they would be in my dorm room with my roommate getting all dialed up to go out on a Friday night. And I would be in my pajamas and that was super by choice. Because you were not feeling like it. Like, no, like, I had no desire. Mm -hmm. No. And I do think where I went to college and what my choices were after high school weren't aligned with who I really was. And so I think that's what set it off. Because I grew up dancing and performing as a kid. Uh, and I'm all of a sudden in college not doing that at all. And studying, you know, some or taking classes that I didn't care about whatsoever. All of a sudden, um, I think I didn't feel um, I didn't feel like I was in the right place. So nothing inspired me. The right people I didn't mm -hmm. think were in my life. You know, I wasn't at college with kids that made me feel inspired or that I really liked or connected with. So the people weren't there. The activities weren't there. The atmosphere mm -hmm. wasn't there in terms of where I was living and stuff. So I just thought it's just easier to stay in bed so I don't have to face all the things that I don't connect with. Um, and so looking back on, on it, what I should have done at the time was I shouldn't have gone to college. I should have moved to New York city and started pursuing dance and Broadway and acting. That's what I should have done, but that's not what I did. And so, because I was denying, I think Why? who I really was. So the depression stuff was, I think, driven by not being who I was or who I wanted to be and denying it. And trying to fit into the mold of, okay, now high school ended, so I have to go to college and get a regular job. And it just felt so wrong. So, uh, you know, so I don't know, maybe if I did follow my gut and go to New York City and pursue Broadway and singing and acting and dancing, if I would have hit depression, I'm sure I would have at some point when I wasn't getting booked on jobs. But I don't think it would have come in as quickly as it did when I went away to college um, and wasn't doing what I wanted to do. It just instantly kind of hit me like this is not what I imagined life to be like 
once I was out of high school and, um, and I came crashing down a bit. It was reality hit. I thought once you got out of high school, you could spread your wings and fly and be who you were. And at the same time, I wasn't really allowing myself to do that. So I, I really just put myself in a position to fail or feel depressed. And how is your depression nowadays? Um, it's, it's hit or miss. It's always there. Um, but uh, some days I'm better than other days. I take uh, an antidepressant, which helps, but doesn't like, you know, doesn't blow me out of the water and make me feel like queen of, you know, queen of the world. But, you know, it's not supposed to do that. So it's your responsibility to kind of keep yourself rolling and do healthy things and exercise and, and stuff. I just, um, every day for me, it's a, it's kind of a battle or a fight mm. and everything takes a How lot of bad. energy. Um, it really depends. So right now, I think because of the time of year, it's cloudy and dark and dreary and stuff like that. I think it makes it a little bit worse. Um, and so Right now, like yesterday, I had a bad day, and the day before that, I had a bad day. But the week leading up to that, I was doing okay, and I think I just kind of hit a wall, and I have some difficult circumstances at the moment um, that I'm facing in my own life. Um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and my dog was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, and so I'm caring for both of them a lot, pretty much, yeah. and so my life isn't in a position where I would be jumping off the walls anyway. So because of that situation, it's a, it's a struggle every day, but I do a lot of things to keep myself afloat. What kind of things like um, jogging, exercising, eating healthy, uh, meeting friends and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's kind of those simple things. Um, I uh, stopped working out because uh I was just not really getting what I wanted out of it. So I started doing a lot of yoga, mm -hmm. which is any, any particular yoga kind of yoga. Or? No, just, just regular yoga, just classes. I'm not like a yogi. I don't know, you know, I don't know anything about it. I just know that it yeah, feels yeah. good sometimes. <laughs> so, um, I set up a little space for myself. That's like a little meditation yoga room. And so, um, I'm, I'm doing that. And when I'm going into my little yoga meditation room, I'm doing a lot of journaling and reading, um, like I'm reading tools, tools of Titans right now. Mm. So, so I'll make a, so I've been making a little habit of going to my little yoga room, stretching, waking up, putting on some good music, writing in my journal, reading an excerpt from that Tim Ferriss book. And then, um, moving on with my day from that point. So I'm trying to start with more of a, like, um, with a routine because I don't have a day job or, you know, think place that I have to be every day. So, um, by implementing that, I'm giving myself a little bit of a routine and normalcy in the morning. Mm. Uh, and then I can go forward with my day feeling like I started in the right place. So that seems yeah. to help, but it's still hard even getting myself to go down to the, yo my yoga room and to write in my journal. So, um, it's always going to be hard to do things, but then once I do them, it's, it feels good. And then, mm. you know, you're going to lose the steam from that. So then throughout the day, I'm trying to continue to like, you know, I drink, I'm trying to drink a lot of water. I'm, uh, mm. trying to, um, stay in contact with friends. I'm writing goals and, you know, so throughout the day I'm doing things to keep my brain reminded that I'm, I'm doing 
the right things or that I'm, you know, but it's always, it's no matter what, it's always going to be um, tricky. It's always going to be hard. So um, I personally was like very depressed only at one point in my life for half a year or a year. Like I wouldn't call myself depressed nowadays, but um, of course, like everybody else, like I'm also having like bad days every now and then. And um, what is like the worst enemy for me personally is uh, having too much time. So yes. um, because when I have too much time on my hand, like and I'm like thinking about my life and man, like, I, I'm really getting depressed. Like, yeah. <laughs> free time is my personal worst enemy. So It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and the irony of when you are depressed and you do have all this free time because you've isolated yourself, you're only compounding yeah. how much worse it's getting because you're allowing yourself to have all this free time because that's, it, it's weird because that's what hurts you and what feels good at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, also, most people would say I'm an extrovert, but um, I'm like rarely going partying and things like that. So um, I'm like more at home than anybody else. So um, yeah, and when I have too much free time, I'm always in my head and ruminating about things. And oh man, it, it isn't good for me. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. So like, I know, um, the best thing for me to do when I'm ruminating and all that stuff is to figure out how to get out of it and to make plans or go do something. And a lot of the time it works. A lot of the time you feel better and yeah. you're glad you did it. But yesterday, for example, um, I, ha- I I was not having a good day and I was trying to push through, push through, push through. And I had plans um, and I wanted to cancel my plans so badly, um, <laughs> but I didn't. Because I knew it would be better for me on the other side. Mm-hmm. But then I ended up not having a great, it wasn't better on the other side. And that's okay. That happens. And it sure. wasn't, you know, it wasn't typical. Usually it does help. Um, but I was proud of myself regardless of not canceling the plans. And I did wake up today feeling better and recharged and um, and things. So I, I think if you don't see the immediate result of, you know, feeling a little bit better based on, what you're choosing to do with your time, you might the day later or two days later or a week later, it could, you know, catch up with you in a good way. So I'm glad that I did do what I did yesterday, even though I was the whole time going, oh, my God, oh, my God, get me out of here. (laughs) All I want to do is lay down and be alone. (laughs) Yeah. And I think, um, for instance, like if you have like uh, inclinations, quote unquote, for depression, I can kind of outrun it like I'm doing, like if you keep yourself busy. But um, I think if you're like really depressed, like I don't have a tip for you, to be honest. <laughs> I so, know. Well, because um, when I was like really, really depressed and I don't want to get too deeply into that, um, I didn't feel like anything. So I was writing a book at that point and I couldn't write at all. I wasn't eating because like I'm going to the gym and I'm not like a skinny guy, but I wasn't eating like anything. So I was like way too ripped and um, I couldn't eat. I didn't feel like partying. And um, what a bummer. And I, I you tr- were way too ripped. Oh, my God. What a shame. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It didn't look good. I, I don't think so. And um, I. I um, didn't feel like doing anything, and I tried to listen to all the gurus. I've read all the books, and it was crap for me personally. It didn't work at all. So, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it does, yeah. and that's what's really, really depressing about depression is that it's never gonna work 
if you're just trying to do things to get out of it until something clicks in your brain where you feel like you can pull yourself out of it, you won't. So you have to get to that point where you almost hit so low mm. that there's nowhere to go but up or even lower, which which you don't choose because it's too low, which is like suicide. So um, it's like a, a process that you can't force and you have to be patient not saying that you can't do things leading up to it, but until that kind of clicks in your brain that, you know, you're going to choose differently, nothing will feel like it will help, but eventually it will. Eventually. Yeah. And I think um, if you stick to the basics and I think it sounds dumb, but um, if you're like exercising, eating healthy, having a regular skip schedule, um, hanging out with friends, like things eventually probably get better like after a couple of months or half a year or a year but um i think you have to be patient so um yeah yeah you have to be patient and you uh you have to be um be aware and realistic of like yeah. how long it will take if you're not feeling good after a week that guess what that is going to get a lot longer than a week so yeah. um, having realistic expectations is important but then also not using those real realistic expectations to do nothing, you know, because you're like, well, it's depression. I can't fight it. So I'm going to do nothing. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But to have expectations where, you know, it's going to be a really hard fight. And what would you tell to everyone who is listening to this right now who is suffering from like, quote unquote, chronic depression? Like, because I don't have any advice for them. Like, what would you tell uh, to everyone? Yeah. Who is suffering from depression for a year, two years, five years, ten years? Um, everything the one thing I can say is that always everything always changes nothing will ever remain the same so even though you feel like you've been depressed for 10 years I feel like I've been depressed for almost 20 years <laughs> so <laughs> so if I can make it anyone can make it but uh <laughs> like, like no no bullshit like you will uh would really say that yeah no like and, legitimately yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. it's been a long but every day is different. And so that's how I get through the chronic depression is that maybe tomorrow will be better or maybe next week will be better. And sometimes they are. And then that gases me up or fuels me for a bit. It's almost like stopping to, you know, get petrol in your car and you'll have enough gas to go another month and then you'll have to stop again to get more gas. Um, so, Everything changes. Nothing will always be the exact same. You may have depression for 10 years, but that depression will change and it'll be like a wave, you know, an ocean. So it's not always going to be the same flat line of depression, which pathetically, that's hopeful. It's mm -hmm. like, OK, well, I'll always be depressed, but I won't always be like at the lowest of the depression. Sometimes there will be high peaks in that wave. And so I just have to ride the wave and wait for the high peaks. And then there's going to be low ones again. And just know that you're it's it's very daunting to know that you're on an ending um, ocean. You're in an ending ocean of waves. But at least, you know, the waves do go high at certain mm -hmm. points. And that's the one thing you can kind of hold on to. If that doesn't sound too depressing about depression. No, no, no. <laughs> and I think um, chasing happiness uh, makes it worse. 
because um, I think a lot of people are sold this dream of like always being happy and waking up with a bright smile and um, always feeling amazing. And I think it's like a great advertising scam. So um, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So um, I know people who are minted as fuck and um, they have a million followers and they still suffer, are suffering from those things. So um, I think it's like a great scam that everyone is telling us that you, are sh you should be happy like all the time. I think it's bollocks. It, it doesn't exist. So I think it's also important to realize that. So I agree 100%. And then it's also um, important to realize that uh, it's okay to not like when you're not feeling depressed but you don't feel like you're having a huge smile okay. on your face it's still okay you know it's good I enough think, for me to be honest it's yeah 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 as yeah, long yeah. as i'm just not scowling yeah uh, i'm happy <laughs> but i've learned that you know it's part of get, getting older and you know putting value on things that you thought were important important at one point and you realize they're not that's definitely something that's real um but I've kind of um, learned for me that I will feel happy, quote unquote, when I'm um, when I'm content with who with who I am and what I what I do. And so for me, I'm focused constantly on on trying to move forward in my life because that will bring me a quiet happiness of just, you know, I don't need a million followers and I don't need a million dollars. I mean, yes, I Yes, I need them, actually. To be honest with you, I do need them. But because I can't have them, <laughs> uh, I do feel um, this calmness or this contentness in just being the best version of myself. And I do feel happy when I feel like that, that I'm doing the best me that I can do. Mm. And uh, to be honest, I don't really think that people want this, like feeling excited and really happy all the time i think like most people actually just don't want to feel that depressed i yeah. just don't want yeah i think it's they like, would be it would be good enough for them so yeah it's like i don't need i don't need a giant um three course dinner i just i just yeah. want some fries as long as i have fries like that for me like that's my level that's my um standard for just you know i don't need everything i just want the minimum and that minimum is is where i'll feel happy mm -hmm. i think And I also think that there are certain roots, uh, root causes for, for depression. Like, for instance, if you're, like, in a terrible relationship, like, good luck getting better, like, anytime soon. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it won't happen. So no. um, getting rid of people, I think, is also a great way to, quote, unquote, increase your happiness. So It um, <laughs> is. It really is. Well, I, I like, I can think of um, certain people where they're, I felt like I wasn't enough for them or I wasn't right as myself. Everything that they communicated to me was that I was wrong the way I was. And that really contributed to um, depression. And then once yeah. I, once I realized, no, I'm okay the way I am and this person's wrong, then I did start to feel happier or the ability to feel happy before I couldn't feel it at all. But once I realized that I'm not, um, I'm not who I am who exactly who I'm supposed to be. I'm not who they want me to be. And that's okay. Hmm. And most people don't want to accept that, sadly. Yeah, I, I know. Think. I know. Yeah. We're all, we're such a peer driven society of, you know, we want approval from everyone and we want to be liked and all of that stuff. So uh, that can definitely weigh heavy on your brain if you feel like you're not accepted or you're not right or you're not 
good the way you are, but you are good the way you are. Hmm. So um, how does dating fit into all of that? Uh, it doesn't. So I am. <laughs> I would also single. say that. <laughs> I am deeply single. Well, for a while, the way it worked was I was in a relationship for a while, and then um, we broke up, and it was how a long, really long term relationship, like five years or something. Eight years. Eight years. Holy. Yeah, it was very long. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. Very long. So once we broke up. Uh, I wasn't actually interested in dating right away, but then I kind of realized, wow, I have a really bad happened. Um, no, we just were never, we were never meant to really be together. We could just never really separate our lives. Like it was like, we were just really good friends. Um, but you know, we knew that it was just never going to be the right situation. Um, and so it was a lot of procrastinating, making the decision to break up. And then finally, you know, it, it was like a lot of we did a lot a lot of growing up in order to be able to break up. Um, so once we did, I realized, wow, I haven't really. I, at first, I wasn't into dating. I wasn't interested. I wanted to just kind of be. And then it hit me, whoa, I haven't like I haven't been like around like hot dudes and just kind of partied and gotten like I haven't hooked up like all that kind of stuff. And so I went on a little bit of a rampage of like like. Tinder, Tinder, Bumble, like I was on, you know, like dating apps, meeting guys and just having fun. Um, and then I met someone that I really liked and it didn't work out. And I think that kind of just deflated my desire. Like I just was like, I'm kind of over it. So I ended up, you know, so I basically right now, I think I'm just um, so interested in bettering myself and not having to be weighed down by dating that I just am not dating at all. And it is kind of um, annoying to date when you are depressed, but mm. I do know, it, like I have dated being depressed and I've thought I can settle down and get married even with this depression, which you can. But what I've realized for myself personally is that I don't want to be married or in a relationship until I'm not, not, I don't have to be a hundred percent undepressed, but until I'm in a better place, mm. I feel like I've grown up because before I would just want to force it and make it work. And now I'm not forcing it. And so until I'm like, fuck, yeah, I'm cool with who I am and everything I'm doing. And until I get to that point, I'm just not not dating. Of course, unless, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio said, do you want to go on a date? Then I'd be like, all right, maybe I can uh, (laughs) throw my priorities in front of a train. Sure, I'll go on a date. But until until, you know, or if I would say it. Or if you, or if you, <laughs> yes, I'm throwing everything away, let's have kids, let's run away, get married. Yeah, and um, I also think that if you are, like, at the right place um, with your mindset, I think you will also, like, attract totally different people. Like, I, for exactly. a fact, like, when I was, like, really, really depressed, like, you don't really want it to be around me, like. <laughs> no, and you're absolutely going to attract people that you don't even want to be around. Yeah. <laughs> It's like if you want to if you like me like this and I'm like the worst, then that means you have no standards. So <laughs> I don't want to be around someone with no standards. So um, what would you tell to someone who's listening to this right now who is having a person in his life who is causing uh, a lot of suffering and they want to get rid of them, but they think they can't get rid of them? What would you tell them? Get rid of them. <laughs> get rid of them you know i unless you're in a scenario where you think that person will murder you if you get rid of them get rid of them 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's more the overthinking that we do in those situations is worse than the actual situation we're in. So if we're with someone that makes us feel bad, and I'm not referring to my ex-boyfriend by any means, um, if when I'm referring sure, to that, just, just for the record. Um, <laughs> but if you're if you're allowing someone to make you feel bad, it, it's it's um it's I don't know, it's not worth it. It's really detrimental to your entire life. And if you just pull the trigger and get them, and not literally, do not pull the actual trigger but you get them out of your life, you're going to go, oh my God, why did that take me so long? Mm. I am doing so much better. Why? Why? Because I think we become codependent on either feeling pain, like we're comfortable feeling like we're not enough or like we're less than, or we get comfortable with the person in the sense that it's, it's easier to keep them around because you don't want to offend them or you don't want to get into some sort of um, tricky situation. But the quicker you just get into that tricky situation, you'll, the quicker you'll be out of it and the quicker, yeah. And the quicker you'll be on your way to fully blossoming to who you can be, but people can really, really weigh you down. They really can. So if you just get rid of them, it's going to hurt now. It's like pulling the bandaid, just pull it off. It's going to rip all the hair on your arm. The hair will grow back. It's going to sting for a few minutes, and you're going to be so much better off without that Band-Aid. Yeah, and I totally agree with that because um, I always had a hard time, like, turning down other people because um, I always try to be nice to everyone. But um, at one point in my life, I've realized, like, we have so – we have so – we don't have a lot of time, like, uh, for relationships and all those different things. And – that's when I try to turn a lot of people down who are just like using me or wasting my time with nonsense and drama and silly things. And now I'm like famous for avoiding like everyone who is like a dickhead. So um, I think it's empowering. Yeah. It feels like bad at first and it's really hard to turn people down at first. But now it's like if someone sends me like a dump message, like I just block them right away. Like there's no chance. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your time and is way too it, precious. I, I think it's a great habit to get into. Like uh, saying no to time wasters, people who are dragging you down, um, yeah, people yeah. who yeah, just waste your time at the end of the day. Yeah, so. and I think it reflects too on on how you're feeling about yourself because if you're just saying yes to everybody, you're not valuing yourself. You're putting yourself in situations that might be below you. You, you should always have a high standard for yourself and the people around you so that you, you know, go, go higher rather than lower. So, uh, Chris, or smoke, or just smoke drugs to get higher. rather than lower. <laughs> <laughs> Easier way, really smoke drugs. We're keeping it <laughs> at the end. <laughs> so, um, at the end, I always ask five quick questions, but, um, before I ask five questions, what would you tell to everyone who's listening to this on life, dating, and all the different things that we've talked about today, depression, feeling better, and so on and so forth? Like, what would you tell them? Uh, keep living. Keep moving forward. Uh, and how, there's so, so much to all of that group of people. There's so much. But I really would just say keep doing you 100% do you and things will align the more you push back against who you really are 
in dating, in hobbies, you know, like that career choices, any, the more you push back on all of that, the, the more difficult it will ever be to be happy. So yeah. So just be you and be you all the way, man. I feel like uh, Mr. Rogers right now or something, or I don't know. Like, a- <laughs> <laughs> So um, could you please tell everyone where can they connect with you on the social webs, work with you and so on and so forth. So uh, you can connect with me on Instagram at Chris Karn and uh, I work with men in their dating profiles and their wit and charm and banter skills uh, on kristenandchill.com. And uh, yeah, it's great name. It, yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm glad <laughs> um, my mom doesn't know what it means. So <laughs> kristenandchill.com. And uh, also you can hit me up on um, my own, my podcast, which is very confusing. My, my podcast is also called Kristen and Chill, but it's not about dating. It's more about mental health. So I know it's confusing, but just remember Kristen and chill. Got it. So um, the first out of the five question is, what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? Um, the only three books I've ever read. I haven't read more than three books. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, that question is hard because I really am not a huge reader. I don't love mm-hmm. reading, which mm-hmm. I know is a very uh, great statement to hear from someone you're taking advice from. Um, but uh, three that I would say really stuck with me. One would be uh, Man's Search for Meaning. By, One of my favorites. Yeah. And, and you know, he's German. and I've read it in German and in English. Like, yeah, Oh, cool. Awesome. I've yeah. I've barely read it in English, but uh, I'm pretending I like it. No, <laughs> <laughs> I read it in English and that's all I could read it in. Um, of course, that was an amazing eye opening book for finding meaning in your life and living when you, you live when you're stripped away from you when when you strip everything away from yourself, your title, your your belongings, all of that stuff. Who are you? And I think that was really helpful. Um, then uh, another book that I loved was um, uh, Without Feathers, which is just a comedy book by Woody Allen. Um, he's it's really a collection. It's a collection of his his like plays and thoughts and stuff. And he's super neurotic and super funny. Um, but reading that was helpful for me because I'm really really neurotic and I overthink everything and I and I related and I thought oh okay I'm not the only one who thinks this way and this guy who you know had a successful career in comedy thinks the way I do that is okay that means something you know mm-hmm. so without feathers loved it and then um the last one would be this is going to sound really dark but it's a book called Stiff by Mary Roach and it's all about uh dead bodies so <laughs> Why Why is that one of my favorite books? Uh, because she interjected this really, really, really dark subject matter with such amazing humor and comedy. And she showed that you can be funny about anything and make anything relatable. And that's what I kind of pride myself on. Um, and uh, also, I find it really fascinating, of course, the whole idea of death, which I won't get into. But um, it was a good reminder to like live now because we're all going to be stiff one day. Yeah. So um, the second question mm-hmm. is, uh, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Well, ever since I was a kid, the movie I've watched on repeat over and over and over is Three Amigos. And so I always have to say that as my one of my favorite movies. It's a silly comedy from the 80s. 
but it's uh, it's really kind of shaped me into who I am today and my sense of humor. Um, so uh, it's it's a classic Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Chevy Chase movie, and uh, I could do every single line throughout the entire thing. I'd be so annoying to watch the movie with because I don't stop repeating the lines. Um, but you know, there's no deep meaning in it. It was just I thought the funniest thing as a kid I could um, I could see why it was funny and um and appreciate it and so i've just always loved that and then um inglorious bastards mm. is uh, one yeah. of my favorite movies i'm a big quentin Tar- tarantino fan love the idea of changing history and uh i think the acting was amazing um and Brad Pitt is in it what yeah, Brad Pitt's yeah. in it. In he wasn't my favorite part about it, but um, yes, he was in it. <laughs> I don't think he's like the best actor in the world, but very, very nice to look at. Um, but I love the idea. He's pretty of good, changing. so I would say I love Seven, I love Fight Club, and um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not the worst, that's for sure. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's pretty good. Who am I to say? Um, but uh, I just love the concept of the changing history in Inglorious Bastards. And uh, my third, I would say, is uh, a Woody Allen film called Blue Jasmine, which is relatively new compared to most of his movies. Um, but I love characters that struggle, and she's a struggling, broken character. And everything that she does just continues to uh, get worse and worse and worse, And um, even though she's trying really hard. And I find it so relatable. And so, um, so yeah, that's one of my favorite movies which is random i would never have thought that that would be one of my favorite movies but looking back on it it is it's it's i thought she did a great job and she was human i just like seeing people in a weak state because it shows that they're human beings and i can relate to that you know so so um the third question is um what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory does this include sex objects yeah, sure. No, no. sure. <laughs> um, I would say something I bought recently <laughs> that's been really helpful is um, this book called This Year I Will, and it's a guided journal, mm-hmm. and it helps you figure out what your priorities are and your values are and how to um, arrange things in your life in a, in a smart way and achieve things that you've been meaning to achieve for a long time. Um, and the author or the woman who put it together, um, her name's Tiffany Louise and you can find the book online, but I found it really helpful in terms of sorting when you've got a crazy brain with things going all over the place at all times of the day, it really helped focus, focus me and the questions in it and the prompts were really, really helpful. Cool. So um, the fourth question is, uh, what are the most important realizations that you've had in the last couple of years? And we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their life, relationships, time. So speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with us today. Okay. Uh, well, I would say it's this is not anything new. Um, it's not an original concept, but uh, life flies by. And I've just realized that... Uh, more so, of course, but it um, it's hitting me harder. Not that I'm old yet, but I, as I get older, I'm just blown away at uh, how quickly everything goes. And so I'm trying to remember and keep in mind constantly that all we have are moments. So moments are are beautiful and um, and 
that we don't need this massive, you know, spread of of a mansion and beautiful, perfect cars and beautiful women. And you can desire good things, of course, but um, I disagree on the women part. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Me too, just because uh, I need to be in demand because I am a beauty. Uh, so yeah, I just um, I'm trying to really, really, really hold on to moments and remember how important they are and. Like I have my dog who's sick, and so I, when I'm looking at her face and petting her, I'm holding on to that moment because that's what I'm going to have going forward once she's gone. So um, moments are huge. Uh, and another realization that I've had recently that is sometimes hard to grasp when you're not in the right mindset, and I would say yesterday because I was having a bad day, I was not in the right mindset to grasp this this concept. Um, but today I'm in a little bit bit of a better place. Um, but it's the realization that everything in your life is exactly how it is supposed to be because that's the only way you're going to become the person you're supposed to be or that you're meant to be. So, you know, with my d- mom being sick and um, certain circumstances being awful in, you know, in my life or in someone else's life, they're supposed to be that way because it's only going to make you who who you're going to be in the future and and it's beautiful but also miserable at the same time because you don't want to go through all those things but it's what you need to go through so um sometimes I feel like you know when I'm depressed that's just kind of that's a bullshit thing and that's no no things should not be bad um but then when I'm on the other side of things I'm looking at it the way I am today which is um you're just being guided to be exactly who you're meant to be. So, so accept that things are shitty, but they're shitty for a greater purpose of you being the best person that you can be. What would you tell? (laughs) I sound like I'm so full of shit right now. Like I'm really, it's hard because I'm not a positive person for the most part, but I'm trying to become one. And I do believe some of these things, but when I'm saying them, I just want to say, Kristen, shut up. Like, <laughs> you know, just go lay back down, go, go watch a shitty movie and life, life's terrible. But, I think you, you, you could also work as a motivational speaker. So, uh, <laughs> a motivational speaker. So, um, the last question for the day is what would you tell your 20 year old self? Uh, get implants, just do it, get it over with. It's going to help you so immensely. Um, <laughs> no, well, in addition to that, I'm kidding. I don't like uh, implants though. Um. No, I mean, <laughs> but I'm like so flat. It's really annoying. Um, but what I would actually tell my 20 year old self is stuff maybe that I said earlier on in the show, which is uh, stop running away from who you are. Just stop running away from what's inside of you and just embrace it and go with it. Don't fight it. That's what I would tell myself because I was pushing away, you know, my desires and dreams because I was afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Commit to them and go with it. Uh, I think I would be in a much different place right now if I did. Um, But again, like I said a second ago, I think I'm supposed to be where I am right now because I'm going to get to an even better place um, than if I listened to my gut when I was 20. But if I could go back, of course, I would love to have listened to my gut when I was 20 and just be myself. (laughs) 
Kristen, um, thank you so much for your vulnerability, sharing your story, um, being so open about your depression, sharing your advice and so on and so forth today. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for the episode. Thank you for listening and being my therapist today. I get to save <laughs> a little money. <laughs> Have a good day. Bye-bye. It was so nice to meet you. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out.